0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg. My co-host today is Benta Boutier. She is uh, a reporter and a producer with WFIU, and I'm really happy to have Benta with me today as co-host. Today, we're going to be talking with our guests about inflation and the state of the economy. We have three guests with us. Isaac Hakamo is assistant professor of finance at the IU Kelly School of Business. Ken Eckstein is the chair of the RV council and he's with Mount Comfort RV. He's the owner. And also Ryan Brewer is an associate professor of finance at uh, IUPU and Columbus. If you've got questions today, you can follow us on um. On Twitter, at Noon Edition, you can send us your questions there. You can also send us questions over email, news at indianapublicmedia.org. So thank you all for being here. I'm going to start with a very general question, and I want to uh, ask um, Professor Hakimov first to uh, sort of frame this conversation for us. What's creating this uh, high state of inflation right now?
2: Uh, hi first of all, thanks for having me uh here uh I would say that there are four reasons uh, that we have agreed mostly on that are driving uh, inflation uh I, I would also say before i you know, by, before I enumerate them is that that we have not a very clear sense on the importance of each one of them but um but we definitely have had a very accommodate fiscal policy so in the form of financial aid um We also had an extremely accommodating monetary policy in the form of low interest rates, uh, which you can think about, you know, that that came from, that helped um, stimulating the housing market, the stock market, made in general borrowing more easy. We also have uh, deep issues globally in the supply chain that have disrupted some industries and have led to some rising prices due to those inefficiencies. And then lastly, we also have observed in the last two years a decline in labor force participation of about two percentage points in the U.S. So you can think about about three million workers are right now not working um, or not participating in a labor force while two years ago in December 2019 they were. So the combination of those four factors are um, well agreed to have affected the inflation that we observe today.
1: Okay so can you help us connect the dots on that so the impact of each of those things has led to uh rising prices is that just is that basically it
2: uh yes so when when you have um for example let's let's use an easier example if uh, if interest rates are low it is easier for uh for households to borrow money Um, So mortgage rates, for example, in 2020, were at the lowest we've seen in a a couple of decades. And so that, for example, leads uh, households being more willing to purchase a home. um, And as they purchase a home, obviously, that increases demand for uh, for homes and that increases uh, home prices. But also it has spillovers even for renters. And so that, for example, will be one of the reasons why, uh, inflation in shelter or in housing costs would uh, go up, even though I want to be clear that house prices are not included in the CPI, uh, but um, rental prices are included in the CPI. That's CPI's Consumer Price Index. That's, That's correct. correct. Yes. Right. Thank you.
1: Okay, Ryan Brewer, um, you're an Associate Professor of Finance as well, so uh, I want to give you a chance to to reflect on what Professor Hakamo said and add anything you want to that.
3: Well, I think it was a good uh, foundation for our discussion. Uh, I think he's right, we agree. There are those four pillars of the underpinnings of our current inflationary environment. Um, One addition I might add is that there has been a lot of discussion about the great resignation and about the, the fourth point, about the decrease in the labor force participation rate. And what I think is interesting is when, uh, if you look at the, at the chart over time of monthly business applications for new business startups, and you overlay that with U.S. job quits, at least in this country, you can see that there's a, correl- a, a very, pretty strong correlation between those two charts. And for instance, between 2006 and roughly 2014 or 2015, we saw about 200,000 uh, applications per month seasonally adjusted in the U.S. And uh, as job puts have continued to accelerate, uh, those numbers went up before the pandemic to about 300,000. So it looks like Uh, that there could be a, you know, this is not peer-reviewed, it's not rigorous, but there's a correlation that you can just observe between where, you know, what's happening when people quit, where are they going? And it looks to me, especially after uh, the pandemic hit, there was a significant spike in monthly business applications. So it seems like with the fiscal stimulus, especially, and the low monetary environment, the low uh, interest rate environment, We've seen a lot of people that have maybe had dreams of starting their own businesses, perhaps taking on the risk uh, with, these, with the assistance of the fiscal and monetary stimulus and going ahead and jumping in and trying their own business. And that, that seems to be some of the reason maybe that, uh, uh, that can explain the great resignation.
1: That's an that's an interesting perspective that I, I hadn't really heard before, and, and we have a business owner with us, so I want to ask uh, Ken Eckstein about you know the impact of these different um, different issues that our professors have talked about, these different uh, parts of the economy and the now rising in inflation rates, and what's that mean to you as uh, the owner of Mount Comfort RV? Well.
4: I'm- there's no question that we've seen, you know, in the last two years, the inflation of RV prices has been um, greater than I've ever seen. Um, we went from, uh, pre, um, from the pre-pandemic to today, we're up 30 35% in wholesale cost. So in less than 24 months, we've got, seen that kind of inflation. Um, and and it's, from, it's from shortages. It's from um, uh, increase in labor prices. Increase in shipping, Um, but to this point, you you know that that inflation has been absorbed by the demand. Uh, The demand for RVs has been um, historically high the last two years, and um, we believe it's going to be you know higher yet in 2022. So right now, people are still willing to pay the cost, even though it's gone up. Like I said, thirty percent in two years. Anta.
5: Yeah, I have a question. Um, So I guess I thought it sounded a little bit surprising to hear that more businesses potentially were starting up before the pandemic. And I'm wondering how many of these will be successful, considering it looked like there was a bit of a recession back in 2020. So how many would have made it through that and come out on the other end? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I guess, either of our finance experts.
3: Um, This is Dr. Brewer. Do you mind if I take that question? Of course. Certainly, Dr. Hakamo can uh, add. I'm sure that there are additional thoughts. But let me clarify. The the pandemic uh, caused Congress and Federal Reserve Bank, in fact, the banks around the world, to become more accommodative significantly uh, as the shock to our economy was absorbed. And we saw uh, what what the virus was doing to the workforces around the world in terms of people having to go home to be safe. And consequently, that infusion of capital into the economy caused, after the pandemic began, people to begin to think about starting businesses and really the spike in new business applications went up over 500,000 for the first time after March of 2020. So it was really in response to the pandemic. And I think part of, uh, you know, behind this, and this is anecdotal, but I think that what happened is with the infusion of capital and the infusion of new ways of thinking about how to get work done, it caused uh, many industries to have to become more innovative and uh, with, the, with money awash throughout the economy at that time by design, I think many of the new technologies that uh, have sprouted up during this pandemic have been forged into many of these new business plans. Now, the question that you ask about how many of these uh, businesses are going to be successful in the long run, that's an excellent question. And we know that uh, new startup survival rates aren't near 100%. In fact, you know, there are very very many studies that support that uh, starting up a new company does not come without risk, and many of the survival rates aren't that good, depending on the industry. So I think time will tell uh, in terms of how, you know the sustainability of these new businesses. I
1: want to follow up with uh, with Ken Eckstein. You know the the idea that you know your demand was staying so high. Um, I I'm going to take a leap here and and assume that that was because a lot of people when they were going to travel wanted to felt like they'd be safer traveling in an RV than, and uh, you know, other ways of, of traveling. So do you, with uh, inflation going up now and maybe um, changing that equation for people, I mean, how, how concerned are you about the 2022 in terms of, of your business and you know, how, how serious of an issue is inflation for you?
4: Well, and and, and that's the thing. Our, we were trending upward before the um, pandemic hit, and the millennials were coming into the marketplace and, and really embracing the, the outdoor lifestyle, you, you know. And then the pandemic came along, and, you know, with, with what happened to the airlines and the cruise ships and, and travel abroad being uh, prohibitive, you know the RV lifestyle became very very attractive, and and you know RVs are, are the original social distancing, and you know people you, you know you can quarantine very easily in an RV, and I think that that with you know with these other activities being taken out of the equation, you know we went from you know producing four hundred thousand units a year to six hundred thousand a year, um, and and again the uh, last year, you know, there's shortages of RVs and inflation, the inflation we've seen, they're still anticipating over 600,000 RVs being shipped in 2022. That being said, as the price goes up, you know, we're competing with, we're competing with um, a timeshare in Disneyland. You know, we're competing with a remodeled kitchen, you know, where, you know, two years ago, we were very, very affordable against those kind of things. Now you know some of those other options uh, become attractive outside of the purchase of an RB.
5: Do you think that the labor available to you has kept up with the demand?
4: Absolutely not. Um, we and and that was one of the things that the um, the stimulus checks and the unemployment that was the beginning at the that was available at the beginning of the pandemic set the industry back. Um, two or three months because people would rather sit at home and collect those checks than, than work, you know, when they had to. And, and we saw a big part of the inflation that we've seen has been in the labor market. And again, you know, the, the unemployment in Elkhart Indiana is down under 3% and, and the wages have, have gone through the roof and there, and there's just, honestly, there's just not enough workforce and in, in Indiana to sustain the kind of production that, that that to fill the demand that we've had the last two years, so that's a big part of the price increase has been you know what we have to pay for labor now um, on the manufacturing side of it.
1: Dr. Hacamillo has has the uh, have wages kept up with the prices?
2: They haven't really caught up with prices, at least according to the most recent data so I'm looking here at the most recent data from BLs and and what you what we see is that wages have increased by about far to seven percent depending on which industry you're looking at, for example, in installation and maintenance and repair occupations or production, that has been about six percent. That's pretty much how much inflation went up so while we in wages have have gone up, they haven't gone up enough to compensate employees for the increase in prices.
1: So how do you think, um, I, I know this is a, a huge question, but I'm trying to to look into the future. Uh, prices are going up, wages are going up, but you know if wages don't go up as much as prices are going up, what, what's going to happen with our labor market?
2: So if there is no no measure. Uh, So if if there is no policy that is implemented, uh, we could enter a spiral. We've seen, and and this is a very capitalistic, very fatalistic scenario, which I think we're very far from it right now. But we have seen in economies like Argentina, Venezuela, or Hungary many many years ago, um, that we can easily enter a spiral in which and this uh, the increase in wages feeds into the increase in prices, which in turn feeds into the increase in wages and so on and so forth. Now, this is the, uh, the case in a, in a complete absence of, of a, for example, an intervention of monetary policy. But also we need to be aware that in this case, some of this, the inflation that we are observing is structural Um, So it's coming from from some of the things that Ken pointed out. It's coming from structural problems in the supply chain. Um, And those we expect to be alleviated as we move forward into the year, Um, assuming that we can make some progress with the pandemic. If we don't, we probably will still keep seeing those issues in the supply chain and therefore those same pressures in prices. Uh, But now with with the most recent intervention by the Fed, we are likely to start alleviating some of the pressure in prices due to the increases on the planned increases in interest rates. So the the planned increase in interest rates will will start alleviating some of this pressure on different fronts. For example, borrowing is going to be slightly more expensive. Therefore that will alleviate some of the pressure for some households who might be buying say an RV with borrow money, uh, While um, instead of buying with cash, while uh, another area that, you know, that if we want to discuss a little more the inequities that we are currently observing, another area that has experienced an enormous gain is the stock market. And about 10 to 15% of the population has direct investments in a stock market besides their 401ks. So those large gains that we have experienced. Uh, in a stock market, they have benefited a very a small fraction of the population also end up feeding into the economy, particularly when we think about things like houses, you know, vacations that would probably include things like car fees, etc. So in those areas, we are likely to potentially see a decline in demand if we also see some uh, decline in asset prices in those areas. So to to answer your question, then in the end, due to at most mostly to to the increase uh, the tightening of the monetary policy, we'll probably see some alleviation in inflation. But also, and more importantly, so if we start seeing also some uh, decline in the frictions that we currently see in the supply chain, that will probably also help alleviate some of the pressure in prices, particularly like in cars, etc.
1: A lot of information there and a lot of things to follow up on. I want to give our our uh, listeners the uh, information for how you can ask your questions and how you can contact us. If you have questions about the economy and inflation in particular, you can send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us on Twitter and send questions there. At Noon Edition, we're talking with Isaac Hakamo. Uh, assistant Professor of Finance, the IU, IU Kelly School of Business, Ryan Brewer, Associate Professor of Finance, IUPU Columbus, and Ken Eckstein, the Chair of the RV Council, Mount Comfort RV Owner. So Ken, the, uh, the, the specter of higher interest rates for you, what does what does that say to you for your business?
4: well and and the more expensive money is, the more expensive the r v becomes and and again i mean we've the, the r v industry in Indiana is probably one of the most resilient industries um, in the country i mean you know in the early eighties we were dealing with you know twenty one percent interest rates and and there's you know the, the industry survived that um, you know uh, but but again, the more expensive money is, the more expensive the r v becomes, and a lot of most of the RVs that we sell are, you know, to blue collar people, um, probably 60% are, are financing directly with us. Probably another 25% are financing um, in other ways. And, and again, the the more they pay for their money, the less they can buy in an RV. So interest rates are always a concern.
1: I think that a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm of an age uh, that I remember those really high interest rates. So I guess I wanted to ask our our two professors about the historical significance of uh, the inflation rates that we're seeing now. Let's start with uh, Ryan, Ryan Brewer.
3: So, you know, really, when you when you look at where we are in terms of inflation, as measured by the consumer price index, um, I remember it, too. Uh, Bob, I, I go back back to the 70s. And I remember the seventies and I compare oftentimes in my mind and in my classes, I compare what happened in the late seventies, mid and late seventies to what happened in the great recession of 2008. And there were some uh, considerable differences and uh, we learned a lot uh, through what happened in both of those events. So just to frame it up before the 1970s happened, where we had the con- we had the condition known as stagflation, which is slow economic growth mixed with high uh, inflation and high interest rates. And really, the high interest rates came in a little bit later, at, uh, through the work of Milton Friedman and uh, Federal Reserve banker Paul Volcker, increased rates to knock inflation down, and it worked. But it did kick the economy into a pretty significant recession. In fact, it was a double recession back in 1980, and then I think again in 81, 82. Uh, pretty severe. Uh, lots of unemployment. Uh, it was it was not. It was a very grim time. So that's in contrast to say what happened in the early 1990s, around 91 or 92, when we had a mild recession. It still seemed bad, especially if you. A bag of stocks, and we're watching the performance uh, of those of those assets during that time. But it was much milder than what we experienced in the late seventies. So, inflation today—you know—the media has been reporting that as of the last report, which was was I think this morning, um, it's higher than it's been in four decades, around seven percent. So. How does that compare? Well, back in 1980, we had inflation uh, double that. You know, it spiked at about 15%, and then in the mid 70s, it was up around 12%. So, and that that was a function of a supply choke with uh, energy, with oil in particular. But back in those days, energy used oil to a much more significant degree than it does today. So the extent to which oil could cause inflation today is probably moderated from where it was back in the mid-70s. Today, we have a supply choke that is arising from the great pandemic that we're currently and continuing to experience. Um, So when, when supplies go down, prices go up, and supplies have been cut down because of the lack of consistency in production systems around the world. Production and delivery systems have been interrupted. It was, it was a shock, and it it definitely impacted prices. Um, but there was also, you know, the other side of it to combat. And again, you know, we haven't had a pandemic in a hundred years, so to combat the pandemic and to combat the lack of available work at in the moment during 2020, we infused all the capital. So we had really a double whammy we had on one side a restriction of supplies and on the other side, making cash more awash for everyone. So that's what has, I think, led to uh, most of the inflation that we're seeing right now. So I think the big question is how long is this going to last? And, you know, is it really systemic at this point? Now, again, going back to the seventies uh, oil, we were so dependent upon oil from uh, different sources at least in America at that time that I think we had less control over what was going to happen and they had to use a pretty fierce uh, monetary policy increasing interest rates to knock inflation down it eventually did work uh, but not without the suffering through a pretty significant recession in the early 80s so at this point you know the question is what's going to happen going forward and and I think that that's where you know you can get 12 economists together and they might all have slightly different opinions as to what's going to happen in the future. I don't think that we're in the 1970s environment. I think that inflation, as measured today, will taper in in the coming months in 2022, this year, I think by fall. uh, We're going to see the supply chains. And this is, of course, all dependent upon how we continue to battle uh, the COVID-19 virus and all of the variants that come from that. If we stay ahead of COVID-19 biologically, with therapeutics, vaccines, and good management of the of the pandemic, it'll help loosen the supply chain problems that we continue to experience more quickly. Um, so that's really a function of you know a lot of things that have to do with public health. Um, but eventually, the pandemic will be more in control than it currently is. And supply chain will loosen up at that point. I think that'll help bring prices down. And also, I think because of what we've learned through, you know, Keynesian economics, as well as the work of Milton Friedman from the mid 70s, I think we now know that we can use monetary policy, we can reduce the balance sheet, we can increase interest rates, and that will also curb the, you know, the demand for goods, and that'll cut prices as well. Now, will that come without pain? Absolutely not there will be pain. I mean, we're going to see, you know, from the people that hold uh, portfolios of stocks, those are going to get hurt. We can already see that right now. I think the NASDAQ is uh, for instance, in its fourth week of declining asset prices. Uh, I haven't looked lately today. I've looked this morning, but they were down this morning again, and the S and P is down as well. Uh, But also, you know, there could be an impact on, uh, what happens in the consuming economy with, with respect to if people uh, find prices of goods, just like Ken was talking about, the prices of RVs are are going to uh, you know be a little bit higher. Not in terms of necessarily the cost that continuing to be higher, but just financing. And if the cost of money goes up, then people are going to buy them less often, and eventually that will roll into the economy. And so the question is, are we going to have a soft landing? Sort of like what we experienced in the early 90s, or is it going to be a harder landing, like in the late 70s and early 80s? And I'm in the camp where I think we're going to land a little bit more softly, like in, like in the early 90s.
5: So... I am reading right now, um, and it seems to echo a little bit of what you're saying, that a lot of the current surge in prices is a consequence of healthy economic trends. Is that something you'd agree with?
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, the unemployment rate's low. I feel like the great resignation is a function of people, you know, leaving current jobs and finding better positions in the economy for themselves, including changing from a W-2 to a 1099. Um, so but all business cycles come to an end at some point and I think that that is probably what we are looking at uh, not necessarily this year but in the coming in the coming 18 to 24 months
5: and then sort of a follow-up you're talking about whether we're going to have a softer harder landing and I did a story speaking with different shelter leaders um, and people who provide services to vulnerable groups here in Southern Indiana. And some of them vocalized concern that a lot of the economic fallout of events like 2008 weren't really shown until a couple of years after, or you know, even five years after homelessness and things, social issues like that peaked. And I'm wondering if we can expect similar things to happen a few years out from now. Is that something, Isaac, and Ryan, you're expecting?
2: I think I think we we need to be realistic with the housing costs. I think we've been neglecting maybe a little too much how costly it is to live in in general in America right now. And I and housing costs have have increased rapidly during the recession, and they're unlikely to decline after the recession. And I think that when we think about inflation and the long-term effects of inflation, and particularly how can they affect vulnerable uh, families, those who are more likely, for example, to be renters, who are more likely to be also low income, are more likely to suffer even two, three years down the road, even after we solve all the problems that we currently have in the supply chain, which will alleviate food prices or energy prices or vehicle prices, but the housing prices are unlikely to go away. And, and, the, and that is, I think, worrisome, especially for more vulnerable populations. And that's what's also happened back in 2008.
1: And does that, I was going to, Bent, if you don't mind that uh, with Ken, does that open up poss- more possibilities for, RVs and and, uh, the other industry in northern Indiana, manufactured housing.
4: Well, and I think manufactured housing has been um, very much overlooked here um, in the last 10 years. It's because, you know, they can do a manufactured home for maybe half the price of what a stick built home can be. But there's a stigma associated with it that they have to overcome. Um, And and we're seeing a trend. In the 80s, we saw a trend um, for what we call the live, live aboards or the full timers in the RV industry. And that, that kind of went away in the 90s. But since the beginning of the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of people, you know, working from their home and their home's an RV. And we're, we're seeing more and more people making an RV, their permanent residence. Um, and, and again, for the freedom of the road, but also for the convenience of, you know, of just being able to move with the weather and and be closer to the outdoors.
5: And do you have any thoughts on other industries that maybe are impacting the RV industry? Like, do you see gas price rises affecting how appealing an RV would be? What kinds of industries that overlap with yours um, could impact how successful you are? Well,
4: and sometimes it feels like everything impacts us. Um, but obviously gas prices, you know, gas prices go up and we always slow down. Um, the stock market going up is always a positive sign for us. I mean, somebody looks at their 401k and thinks they're a millionaire. And all at once, it looks like a good time to buy an RV. You know, they lose 20% in their 401k and they get all nervous. Um, so, but in, in our world, you know, I, my biggest concern really is is the um is inflationary is that when we look at, you know, the cost of commodities has gone up. Well, maybe that'll come back. The cost of um, shipping has, has gone up drastically. Um, And, and maybe that'll come back, but the cost of labor, it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. And I think we'll, we'll be living with those cost increases. And again, for the RV industry, you know, the RV industry in 2019 had over $32 billion impact in Indiana. And, you know, in 20 and 21, it had to be much greater than that. Um, and, and again, as, as you know, as the inflation kicks in, you know, that's got to diminish those numbers.
2: Um, if okay, I, if I, I, sorry. Please go. I would like to respectfully disagree with Ken on one aspect. Um, so right now, we see that there is about 3 million uh, individuals who are not participating in the labor force. Ryan earlier alluded that some of these individuals might have started a firm. The, fra- the fraction is small. What surveys to the population have shown is that a good fraction of people who are not currently working is because they have concerns about COVID. Uh, and that's why they have uh, left the labor force. Um, and, and so I, I expect those same individuals to come back to the labor force after COVID concerns are alleviated. And and that will certainly put less pressure on wages.
5: Ken, can I ask you if you can explain um, maybe a little bit shortly, what is it about the RV industry that makes it such a key indicator industry for especially the Indiana economy? I remember back in maybe 2020, maybe 2019, we had a show talking about whether we were headed for a recession and had an RV expert on. Then,
2: yeah,
4: yeah, and and I think um, back in the 70s, with when um, they they and I was in college, they said that the econom- that the RV industry was an economic indicator. Um, going into a recession and our lead indicator going in lag indicator coming out. And I think when they studied it historically, they found out that it's more of a lead indicator going in and a lead indicator coming out. And I think it's because of the demographics of the people that are attracted to the RV industry. I don't know, but maybe maybe one of the professors can address that better than I can.
3: Well, what I can tell you is that, uh, you know, if I had done a lot better in the stock market 20 years ago, I would definitely call you after we get off here and order an RV. <laughs> you need
4: to go now while the interest rates are still low. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dr. Hakama? Um,
2: I, I, I haven't, maybe I need to talk with Ken more. I haven't had an opportunity to ever experience an RV Um, So I'm not sure. I don't honestly also don't know much about the RV industry.
1: All right. Well, I want to follow up with you because there's something that you do know quite a bit about. You just did a study about uh, a a story about uh, how black and Hispanic small business owners are being disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and the circumstances of our current economy. Can you elaborate on that for us?
2: Uh, yes, certainly. Um, so the, the the study started with with a striking statistic that we observed in the beginning of this of 2000, of twenty twenty one. That one out of five um, minority business owners were uh, expecting to close their business within three months, while uh, only half of that, so only one out of ten white business owners, were expecting to close their business. So it kind of led us to try to think, well, why, why is this the case? And, and what we came to realize is, is that low business, um, minority business owners, they tend to have less money, uh, lower equity, I mean to say, they tend to have less emergency funds, uh, they have to more, more debt, and they end up actually putting more money, more of their own money into the business. And so that, for example, has had, had put them into a, a bigger struggle particularly in 2020, when, when the economy was not doing so well. Then we also saw by looking at food traffic data that at the time, especially during the whole 2020, neighborhoods where minority business owners were mainly present, those neighborhoods were experiencing a lot, Sorry, those businesses in those neighborhoods were experiencing a, a very sharp decline in food traffic. While in contrast, businesses that were in my mainly white neighborhoods they were not experiencing as much of a decline in food traffic and then uh this is not from there was this is not this was not from our research with some of the research from some of my colleagues that have shown that back then i don't know if you guys remember the the ppp program the paycheck protection program uh, unfortunately, it was quite slow in helping minority business owners. So there were two waves of the program. And the first wave was disproportionately helping white, minor, white business owners uh, um, in contrast to minority business owners. And while the second wave was a little more helpful for minority business owners. But that came a little too late for some of them. Um, so that's, that's what we we studied in an article.
5: So we just got a Twitter comment in and it's more for all of you to respond to if you like um, or share your thoughts on from Mike. It says, if you're not doing well right now, something is wrong with you. Jobs are plentiful. 3.9% unemployment with almost a 7% GDP growth rate last quarter.
3: Well, that's, that's yeah. a... Um, that's an interesting contribution. Uh, what I would say is that it, it certainly would seem that jobs are aplenty, and you know there's lots of opportunity. And it is true there are there are a lot of businesses hiring, but I think the point was made earlier that we we do see that this virus is uh, is causing all kinds of problems. I mean, hospitals have been full recently. Uh, Here where I am in in the Columbus, Indiana area, I think the Columbus Regional Hospital bed system was full for most of January. Uh, So people that had a non-COVID related emergency uh, probably experienced less uh, beneficial services as a consequence of that happening because of the, the strain on the healthcare system. And so I think people do have, you know, a bit of hesitation in terms of do they want to go back to that place where maybe, you know, the employer does or doesn't respect the transmissibility of COVID uh, as much as they, as much as they might. And so I I think that that might have an impact on, on the demand for getting a job.
1: Along those lines um, I wanted to ask about, you know, we've talked about the labor market and we've talked about the, um, about wages, um, it seems like there's a lot of pressure on the lower end of the wage scale. A lot of these jobs that people used to be willing to work for ten dollars an hour it seems like these are, are jobs that are being left open, uh, calling for you know, sort of raising the call for uh, higher, um, higher. Rates on the on the low end of the of the wages, like a minimum wage of fifteen dollars an hour. Do you see that as uh, you know what? How how would you look at that in terms of a political issue going forward, Ryan
3: Brewer? Well, I, I think certainly if we, for instance, if we consider the state of Indiana and we look at the population centers and the states that uh, juxtapose to our borders, if we look at Illinois, they have a higher uh, minimum wage in Illinois, I think, significantly. Uh, the rest of them, I think, Kentucky's the same as us, and Ohio and Michigan are slightly higher. And these are changing. Minimum uh, wage laws are are being considered for revision throughout the country. And I think if you look at population centers along state lines, when uh, you know governments are considering changing those rules, it you know they may have unintended consequences that they're considering in, in terms of say Fort Wayne, uh, the Chicago area in the region, uh, Northwest Indiana, uh, Terre Haute, uh, New Albany in the, in the area next to Louisville. So if, you know, because these laws are oftentimes by state, sometimes it's federal, but the federal law is not really moving at this point. So I do think that there are, there, there would be some consequences in terms of, where a business is located and where an employee is located with respect to the jurisdiction and where the, where the minimum wage uh, law has changed and how it could affect those local economies. Um, But I do see your point. I think there is, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about regulating wages at that level, whereas in the, you know, the different uh, part of the socioeconomic piece of the economy, it's really more of a market demand uh, wage. So, I think that's a good question.
1: We could blow this show up by getting into a lot of political discussion. so I, I want to go back <laughs> to one of the questions that uh, we've been sending. There's actually another comment from one of our our listeners, and I, I want to uh, have Dr. Hakimo respond to this. Um, my small IRA made about twenty thousand dollars last year. We drive a hybrid, so we buy hardly any gas. We're vegans and raise a garden, so our food expenses are low. This economy is great, so I'd advise those suffering to make a few adjustments so inflation means nothing to your living standards. Is that a realistic um, idea for a lot of people, including the people of color who you uh, did the study on?
2: Um, so let me let me actually tackle both questions at the same time from, from the list. Sure. So I think there is... A, there is a, this, this sense that if you're struggling, it's because you're unemployed and therefore you could take a job and your life would, uh, would, be, would be fine. But I think what we miss on that is that the, the, the ones who are currently not participating in labor force are those who are currently concerned with COVID and most likely will have the option to not to work. Those who are struggling are already working. Um, the problem is that the increase in wages is not enough for them to be able to compensate for the increase in prices. Uh, so that's something that it's useful to, to keep in mind. Um, so the, the other, so as for the second listener, I think it's great. I myself, I've been vegetarian for a very long time. So it's great that we can do these food options. But even though I have myself as vegetarian, I don't want to, I don't think it's fair to have to impose these types of preferences in other people um, To as a solution. Um, so I think we also need to think that the problems that some households have are path dependent. We've been for two years in this pandemic. And while right now, this last couple of months, like the wages have been increasing, we went through a period in which there was a lot of struggle. Uh, and a lot of these households, like the ones we we looked at in our study, they have very low emergency savings. And so when, when you go through such a long period of struggle, then you're, you run out of your emergency savings. You're more likely to be delinquent in your debt. And so while it is great that now there's lower unemployment, wages are increasing, that might not be enough to compensate for, for the struggle that has has, has had happened already.
5: Okay. And so how does the status of labor and living expenses sort of relate to things that some households have to spend money on like child care or um, maybe they're caring for a family member in elder care that type of thing
2: i'm sorry i'm not, I'm not sure if i if i got the question
5: um, here how does the status of the labor market relate to things like the cost of child care or affordable workforce housing that type of thing
2: um I think, look, it, it is true that, and, and I don't want to underestimate what, what, for example, what Ken has mentioned earlier, et cetera, because it is true that increasing labor costs will have an impact on inflation. I don't want to underestimate that. Um, but we also need to understand that it's not because wages have increased that or better. It's not just because of the increase in wages that we have, all the inflation that we observe today um, and so I, I would go back for example for housing costs that one could more surely say that housing costs have uh, been mostly driven by the very low interest rates and if you think about it like we, we focus on big percentage increases like you know how much energy increases have, incre- have increased and, and that's that's fair but sometimes you also need to think about the base. So, for example, the increase in, sh- in shelter uh, has been about 5%. But if you think about for most households, 50% of their income goes to, for housing. So a 5% increase in housing is quite dramatic relative to a 12% increase in meat, for example. You know, If you spend $50 in meat per month, a 10% increase in meat, that's $5. If you have a house that's where you pay $1,000 a month, a, a 4% increase is $40. Uh, So, so those costs, we, we should not necessarily link to the labor uh, as we doing. uh, So, but at the same time, I don't want to underestimate the effect of the labor costs on inflation. There is an impact.
1: We only have about four minutes to go. I have a couple of questions I want to ask. One is for Ken about, you know, as a, as a business owner, you've got a lot of employees and how, you know, how are your employees, sort of managing their, uh, their lives with, you know, inflation starting to nip at them and they're, you know, they're still in the middle of a pandemic.
3: Yeah.
4: And, and we've seen, you know, when you talk about minimum wage at my dealership, you know, three years ago um, we were, we were hiring people at $8 an hour. You know, we're running ads continually for help and my lowest advertised Position is fourteen dollars an hour now, and again, I know that's not a national number, but that's that's what it takes out here. You know, in Greenfield, if you want somebody to work at, at a fast food pace, you want somebody to wash your car, um, you have to pay fourteen dollars an hour to get that labor. Um, so, so you know, I I got a smirk whenever somebody says, you, you know, we need to raise minimum wage. Um, you know, the pandemic, the infusion, the infusion of cash into the economy, it raised the minimum wage. And we're, and we're suffering, too, from you know, the great relocation where, you know, even the people, you know, people that are making 18, 20, 25 dollars an hour are looking at the other side of the fence for, for greener grass. So it's it's the, the labor market's tough right now. And it's a continuing continual battle for us to try to get um, the, the right people that, you know, that'll commit to you know long term employment with you. Mhm.
1: Okay, in the last 2 minutes um Professor Brewer, Professor Hakamal are there. Things about inflation that uh we haven't gotten to now. I mean what got we we it's been a while since um we've been in an inflationary stage. So what are we missing about what could be ahead for us?
3: Well, the yeah. the one element that I think is you know, first of all I'd like to say you know, thank you for having me on this show. It's been a nice discussion. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed meeting all of you. And uh, to the listeners, I think it's important to try to take into account the idea that this, this situation that we're in, while it's really grim and difficult, and especially for those that struggle the most, it's more difficult for them. And I think that's important to consider. But we are going to get through this eventually. Um, but in terms of you know the idea that For a long time after the Great Recession, we were worried about deflation, which is just as nasty of a specter as hyperinflation. So we're not near the hyperinflation that we experienced in the 70s, and we do have uh, techniques monetarily to control it. I know that we, you know, as Ken mentioned, we can't really let the you know put the genie back in the bottle in terms of wages, Uh, but you know, some would argue that for many years. Uh, the lower end of wages needed to have some inflation to kind of catch up with the rest of us, if you will. So I think those are maybe a couple of thoughts. We're going to get through this. And I believe I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than maybe some. I believe that we're going to get out of this with a softer landing eventually.
1: OK, thank you, uh, Professor Hakamo. One, uh, minute, one minute, one minute.
2: Okay, okay. You know, I I, I shared uh, some of the positive uh, views that uh, Ryan also has, I think, I think we'll get through this too. I think it's important to keep a positive uh, mind. Um, because I think many of the problems that we currently have with inflation are structural, and I think we'll be able to to handle them as long mm-hmm. as we can handle the pandemic.
1: All right. I want to thank our professors, Isaac Hakama from IU and Ryan Brewer from IU, PU, Columbus, and also our business owner, Ken Eckstein from Mount Comfort RV and the chair of the RV Council. For my co-host, Bento Boutier, our producer, Holden Abshire, and engineer, John Bailey, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition.
0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com.